This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello and welcome back to the 15 Minutes of Football podcast, the podcast where we discuss all things football, with each topic being 15 minutes approximately. I'm your host today, Jordan Dover. I'm joined with Johnny Bentley again. He's got his hand over his face. I think it's the cover, the, the saliva that comes out his face when he speaks. Come on. Wow, that was that was a harsh burn. Unfortunately, orthodontal work is still very much in the early stages. It was more of a cringe at the way that you staggered over an introduction that you've heard 12 or 13 times now and still can't remember the words to. But it could have also been, as you said, the saliva that builds up in the back of my mouth when I go to sleep and wake up in a pool of it. One of those things. One of One those, of those things. things. So, Jordan, now that the roles have reversed like on Pointless, where Alexander Armstrong once swapped with Richard Osman quite catastrophically, um, what, what, what have we got lined up today? Yeah, well, I'll be, I'll be Richard Osman because I've got the high, obviously. Um, four topics today. As usual, we'll be covering European football, which has been particularly exciting. That'll be our last topic. Uh, so if you do want to jump ahead, you feel free because it's four topics, 15 minutes each. Uh, the first topic, though, is going to be based on the Super League. We're going to discuss a little bit of Harry Kane and whether he needs to leave Spurs. Mm. And then lastly, there's been... The Premier League Hall of Fame announced this week, and we're going to have a little discussion on that, and a little discussion on the shortlist so far. Mm. But first, as I say, the mm. Super League, it seems to have all died down a little bit now. All of the clubs have come back with the tail between their legs. Mm. And now we're left in this, this scenario where we may need to punish these clubs. We mm. don't know if they will be. And I thought that would be a nice little discussion point for today. Yeah. What, what was the question? Well, specifically, should the clubs involved be punished? And if so, what kind of punishments do they need? Um, well, yeah, they should be punished on, on the basis that, and I argued this and a few others had argued this, that um, clubs up and down the Football League and, in, in, you know, even in Scotland have been punished uh, when the owners have spent crazy amounts of money, got themselves into bad financial situations and they've gone into administration those football clubs have been punished heavily with um, with points deductions. And sometimes I think, I know Rangers was an exceptional case back in the day, but Rangers got relegated to the bottom of yep. the Scottish Football League for yep. financial issues that were co- co- caused by the owners at the time. Because one of the key arguments to not punishing anyone in of the, of the perpetrators um, who got involved in the European Super League was, Oh, it had nothing to do with the players or the manager. But neither did any club that going, went into administration. That wasn't anything to do with the, with the players or the manager. That was to do with the owners primarily and their poor financial decisions. And their, well, their poor decision-making. European Super League was down to the owners' poor decision-making. Uh, maybe not from a financial standpoint, like those that went into administration, but from an ethical standpoint, from the, from the standpoint of the supporters, from the standpoint of... Um, the footballing principles of competitivity and um, and 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 just just morality really. It was a te- it, you yeah, know absolutely. it was a terrible decision. So yeah, they should be punished. Um, will they be punished? Is another is another thing altogether. And I think the reason why you've got this strong, you know, desire. Oh, we shouldn't punish them because it wasn't the players or the manager. Firstly, it's a bit of elitism because a lot of the people associated with these clubs probably aren't paying much attention to those that go into administration you know it's just that yep. it's, it's the idea and i of, think yep most of the people at least i've seen on twitter do tend to be fans of the the, the so-called big six exactly. and they're the people that are arguing against against their punishments for these clubs but i would argue if you are a fan of the big six or proverbial or a bigger club say you don't necessarily have it's a bit like I compare it to sort of classes in society, right, to a point. If you're very middle class, you probably can't relate to the problems of someone that's very, very working class. You might be able to, sure, for sure. But... Yeah, it's one of the big issues that a lot of people have with with the democracy that we have in the UK, isn't it? For sure. So, for example, for someone like you, with, you know, a trust fund and... um, Wealthy financial backers. I feel like I need to do a disclaimer on this every single podcast at the minute. <laughs> it's only a bit, I've only said it twice. I can carry on if you want. But for example, no, I'm only messing, but uh, I'm not. But 
Well, what is it? We use a stereotypical do- Dordan Jova, middle class random person with anyway. But what general point is, it can be hard to see the perspective of the other person when you've not necessarily been looking in that particular vicinity. And with these football clubs, I feel like supporters and fans who are of these football clubs haven't really paid much attention to many of the smaller clubs that have gone through these financial struggles and situations and have seen their club deducted points, have seen their club relegated. They can't relate to that. And they haven't paid much attention to that. They can't empathise. So I genuinely, because their argument's fair. It is fair. You know, no, uh, yeah. it isn't the manager's fault the and it's not the player's fault. But you've got to bear in mind, lots of instances like this have happened in the past and it, they've just been told to get on with it, these clubs. Yeah. So I mean, we've even seen it in Italy where even the big clubs, obviously it's slightly different because, because of what, what, what happened in that scenario where I think there was a lot of match fixing going on. But Juventus went down to Serie C. And I just don't think that that's something with the, with the modern day football and the, the, the level of money that's involved, particularly with these big clubs. I just don't think it's something we will see, even though that would probably be the fair thing to do based mm. on previous, previous results we've seen. Yeah. And, and, and we also say it's quite, you know, even as a Burnley fan, as an Everton fan, whatever, we could say, you know, this is a 20 team league. It's not, it's a, it's a six team league because if you take the six teams out of the Premier League, it's not Premier League. It's the Championship Plus. It is. Yeah. Well, um, that was a massive issue with the Super League, and it was why a lot the other fourteen almost were in such a predicament in terms of looking looking at themselves, really. Yeah. And why it was such an issue for them if yeah. you, if those teams were to leave. Yeah. No, I think yeah, it's the truth though because as I say, even as a Burnley fan, Burnley seem to be used as the example quite often when they say this is a game we don't want to watch, which I do find quite annoying. Well, look at the weekend, guys. Come on, look at the weekend, but. Usually they'll say something like, well, you know, would you watch Burnley v Sheffield United, Burnley v Wolves? Well, I would. I'll use a different example. Wolves versus Sheffield United, for example. Would you watch that as a neutral on the television? Probably not. Probably not. But if it was Wolves versus Tottenham or Sheffield United versus Man United, I might do. I might watch it because there's a big six team involved, which means there's quite a few big players involved. Uh, you know, big club, you kind of have that idea you might have some in your fa- some players in your fantasy team. If you don't, you probably want them to lose because, you know, everyone <laughs> likes the underdog kind of story. In my mind, if you're a neutral watching, you kind of support the underdog. That's how it works. Uh, but the point is, those six teams are, they are the Premier League. They make it up. And it pains me to say that as a Burnley fan, probably, you know, as an Everton fan, but it's the oh, truth. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. They know that. Them, at least financially, the repercussions would be so big. But But they know that. And that's why they've got, you know, the proverbially got everyone over a barrel. You don't really want to punish them that much because, after all, like you say, these are these star attractions to your league, and also, um, it's it's part of the reason why it's quite worrying in the sense that we hear Florentino Perez talking now about how these contracts are binding for twenty three years and that the Super <laughs> League will be back, like like the Blofeld bomb villain that he is, stroking his cat. Absolutely, yeah, but. I would not, you know, everyone says, oh, it's been defeated. If this rears its ugly head in a year or two's time, probably before 2024, with the, with the, before the Champions League proposed changes come into play, which aren't great. But if it comes into play in two years' time, I wouldn't be surprised. This is here to stay. Like, Well, that's the thing. I, I think if they came back with another Super League proposal that was maybe slightly less extreme and there was maybe some relegation involved mm-hmm. and a little bit more competitiveness involved, I think even fans of the big six would start to get behind it because I think I can see almost why they've done it outside of a financial perspective. And that's why I'm slightly concerned. And that actually leads on to the second half of my question, which was going to mm-hmm. be, how do we eliminate that happening again? Yeah, well... And one thing that has been massively uh, spoken about in the last week has been the the fifty plus one rule that's seen in the Bundesliga and in yeah. the Swedish division. Uh, so, for anyone that doesn't know, that's where fans slash club members have fifty one percent of voting rights uh, to how their club is run, any decisions that are made within the club. And the the key distinction there is that, that they're not the financial backers necessarily, or at least not the sole financial backers, but they have the, the key decision. They're part of the key decision-making. And with within that, you could then prevent 
this kind of thing from happening again. And that's partly why the German clubs weren't were saying no effectively to the Super League. It's maybe not something that we could actually see realistically happen in the Prem. I know you've, you've written all a, bit, a little bit about this, Johnny. I might have done. I might, I've not spoken about it. I might have written about it. I'm not sure. Uh, I know I have. I have tweeted about it. I have tweeted about it. Yeah. No, uh, I don't think it's... No, yeah, I agree. Everything you've just said. I'm thinking it happened in our society, which is a very um, capitalist society where we do encourage more, as much money and as much profit as we possibly can. By all accounts, I've read and heard that the European Super League proposal was sent to the government in advance. They approved it, realised how much yeah, the fans hated it, well. and then went back on it. So ultimately, I don't think they can do this because it's a very socialist policy, I think. And this is not a socialist government, far from it. It's it's a conservative government, believed in capitalism, talked up greed uh, behind the success of uh, the vaccine programme, rightly or wrongly, that's what they, they attributed it to. And for them to suddenly say, you know what, we're going to break away from our business model that we use across the United Kingdom, across England, uh, just for the Premier League, I find it unrealistic. Um, I really do. I think the Premier League is symptomatic of our society, our our social society, and, and the way absolutely. our government governs. And that's maybe also partly why it is the, the size it is today in terms of, the, the, as a product, the Premier League is maybe the biggest league in the world. And it's probably partly to do with that and the, the finances that are, are pushed because of that. Mm. Uh, it's not just, obviously, that, though, the, the reason the 50 plus one maybe couldn't work in England, obviously, so for anyone that doesn't know, in, in Germany, this has almost been how it's always been. It's just how how they uh, came about, the, these clubs. And a lot of the clubs are still 100% fan-owned. Uh, I think Schalke, Schalke are one that have recently actually been uh, had, had more financial backing, which has led to their demise a little bit in recent years as well. Mm. Um, and I think that the fact that we've almost gone too far in England with, with this, and now obviously the, the owners own the whole club, They've invested this much money. I don't think you can then take away those rights without being sued to high heaven. And I think that's probably the key issue and the reason that the 50 plus one wouldn't work in England. Mm. And then looking beyond that, mm. is there actually any, anything that we can do to, to prevent it happening again? And it's really mm. difficult to, to come up with something where, I mean, you can just imagine how much, the, how much money that these clubs are capable of spending on lawyers. Mm. I, I don't, think there's any any way that we can really truly get the, the game back into that fans hands yeah and you know what as well i think it'll be really interesting the 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 transfer windows ahead because if i'm an owner of a football club that wanted to get this go into this profitable league and it's just been told by my fans no you can't do that you've got to stay in this less profitable league where you earn less money and you have less money to spend i'm not signing any marquee players i'm not doing it because one i'm losing money because of the pandemic anyway two I don't want to sort of um, make it all seem hunky-dory and rosy now that we haven't gone into this project that I desperately wanted to go into. If anything, I'm going to tighten my purse strings a little bit. And then when you realise that your club isn't signing X, Y and Z that they want in the transfer market, then the hope from the owner might be, well, maybe the fans will get behind us a bit more if we yeah. can then say we can get this play, we can get that play, we can get this. I don't think there'll be a what, you know, there's some names being thrown around, £100 million signings. I don't think we'll see a £100 million signing this summer. I really don't. I, I think the amount of money spent across Europe will be minimal. I mean, Florentino Perez loves to buy the Galacticos, so-called Galacticos, he loves to buy superstars. But he'd be very hypocritical if he went out there and signed a one hundred million pound player now. Given the I think fact he actually that said out. in one of these kind of late night rants that he's had, mm. I think he actually did say that it's not possible yeah. to go out and buy an Mbappe without the Super League. And exactly. I think that I think a lot of the clubs as well have kind of been reliant on this. I called it an insurance policy, and that's what it is really. Uh, the Super League was an insurance because they could have got this massive payment, and that suddenly. Uh, can boost the club financially and allow for, for these decisions to be made. And I think Spurs are a key example. I, I don't think that Mourinho maybe would have been sacked if Daniel Levy didn't think he was about to get a big old payday. Mm. 
No, yeah, completely. I'm with you again. Um, the the decision didn't seem to necessarily be down to footballing reasons. I said uh, when it was sacked, it was a disgusting decision, given that he was so close to the final. I did say that at the very earliest he could possibly be sacked will probably be just after the final, where they have a vague chance of a top four. The football's not been brilliant in 2021. And if they've lost the final, he's kind of... Not he's, he's not done what he came in to do essentially, which was to which was to win a trophy. And the actual league form had dropped off significantly. And you've seen what Thomas Tuchel did at Chelsea when he came in and replaced Lampard. I hope it could be a case of just getting someone in to just change the mood, change the atmosphere. Solskjaer at United yeah. when he first came as well. The ship as well. Yeah, so I could understand that. But yeah, no, absolutely. The way it happened when it happened seven days before a final. Poor Ryan Mason, like we were saying before, he came on going into a final third second game in charge. You know, uh, it, that's just not just, that's just stupid. It's absolutely stupid. Yeah, it was never going to be a good decision, but as as we say, I think yeah. that it was it was partly to do with the money as well. Yeah, uh, and, and and that new investment that they've had, they thought they had from the Super League. So, in a quick quick little summary, do you think that there will be punishments? And if you think there will be, what will it be? Quickly, uh, I think fines, just fines. Mm. You see, I would love to see a transfer ban. I think that would be the most effective. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it should be fine. Yeah. Anyway, we just had a little conversation about Spurs, a little, mm. a little glimmer into what's happening over at Spurs. So my second one, the Harry Kane conundrum. Does mm. he need to leave Spurs to win silverware? Uh, yes, but he won't leave Spurs. So that's uh, this is this is another one I tweeted yesterday. Um, it's closed. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I mean, you can attribute this back to topic one. Who's gonna who's gonna who could afford Harry Kane? Who could afford someone who turns 28 in the summer, has a few niggling injuries, so you're probably not gonna get him to play 100 percent of your games, probably will play 80% of the games. So it's not too much of a worry, really, for a player of his caliber. But 28 years old would command over a hundred million pound transfer fee because Daniel Levy won't sell him for anything less. He knows he basically is the Tottenham team at the moment. And I just can't see anyone, A, as I just said before, paying over £100 million for anyone, given what we've just seen recently, given the state of our European football clubs. And B, uh, I can't see anyone paying that kind of money for a 28-year-old, uh, when if you were going to pay that fee, which I don't think anyone will, it would be on an Mbappe or a Haaland, because they're much younger and their best years are ahead of them. Uh, and they've both, both of them as well, have shown no sign necessarily of, of any niggling injuries. So all look really clean, really fit um, off the board. So I think Kane's just going to have to hope that whoever they bring in, uh, Tottenham as the next manager, can really um, galvanize the squad, get something going, build something like Maurizio Pochettino did over time. Um, or. You can go and play the Super League in a few years if they set that, if they ever set that up. But honestly, it it doesn't look too good for him, and that's why you don't sign six year deals, Jordan. Because yeah, well, that's the that's the big issue for him, yeah. isn't it? It's that yeah. six year deal. It's absolutely killed him. And I mean, I I actually I've been agreeing with you on that uh, for the last few months. But I think actually now mm. there's just a little there's a few doors maybe opening for him. Wow. If he pushes it himself, for me, wow. That's what I think. I, so obviously it's another year without a trophy at Spurs. Mm. That's been confirmed this weekend. You said it was a pretty terrible game. Yeah. Not not really very inspired performance from Spurs. No. No. <laughs> it doesn't look like they're going to get Champions League. No. It's possible. But I think that he's a player who pretty much has to be playing Champions League. If he wants mm. to, to really compete as one of the best players in the world, I think he has to be playing Champions League. Where can he go? That's the question you've asked. Well, I think there's two clubs really both in Manchester, that would potentially be capable of, of spending that kind of money. And as you've said, maybe the owners might cut back a little bit, but I think particularly City, they might be willing to go out and spend a little bit more to get the fans back on side. Because if you think of just how much of a, a civil war there's almost been with, between owners and fans, some of these owners might suddenly think, well, if I spend a little bit of money, they'll all jump back onto my side. And I think Kane is... I have also said that I think Haaland will be their first choice, but mm. he might get Champions League with Dortmund. He might want to stay at Dortmund. You never know. Mm. I think Harry Kane would be the second best choice. 
And as I say, Man United, they're, they're another club with a, a vast sum of money. The Glazers mm. have had maybe more negative press than anyone else mm. uh, following the Super League stuff. And I think that they'll want to get the fans back inside. What a better way to do that than signing the best striker in the league? Well, it's just the opposite narrative to what I peddled um, in the sense that there's a bit of a... Because I, I don't buy the apologies necessarily at all. And Oh, absolutely not. And, 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 you know, I think... To be honest, the City fans are not quite as angry as the other fans because they recognise what this board and, and, and have done for them. Um, even before Pep Guardiola, they appreciated that Manuel Pellegrini came in and was more more offensive-minded than Mancini, which is what they asked for. And after Pellegrini, of course, to get the man Guardiola to really back him. Uh, to put in a, a financial model and wage structure that was, I think it's the most sensible across Europe in that many, I remember Emeric Laporte, who was, um, you know, one of the, uh, when he came, the most important Man City defender, central defender, until Ruben Diaz came, and he was on a wage salary of, base salary of 65,000 a week and then got more with bonuses and so on. And it was something that you saw quite a lot with a lot of Manchester City players that the, their base salary wasn't as high as you'd think. It really wasn't. And you got higher salary based on incentives like a goal or a clean sheet or assist or whatever. Um, and you he actually had to... As if he did go. Yes, yeah. But you actually had to work towards getting that next paycheck or getting that next pay rise. So I think on balance, they have... Um, there isn't quite as much animosity with the City fans towards the owners. And with Man United, I I don't think they're a club that will spend just to appease the fans. I don't think they'll do it, you know. Nothing. I no. think if anyone is, I think they're the most likely to do that. I'm not I'm not too I mean, we've already talked we already heard a few months ago reports about how they are uh probably gonna give Oli Goodestolshire a modest budget this summer, uh, because they don't have the finances necessarily. Um, it's a different story, of course, if Paul Pogba did depart. But I asked the same question again. Who would be willing to pay the money for Paul Pogba and then the wage demands on top of that? PSG. We've heard, we've heard perhaps, but we've heard reports of Paul Pogba wanting 500000 a week and then Bruno Fernandes saying, I, want, I won't stay unless Pogba stays <laughs> and wants pretty much so he can get the same amount of money. Um, when you look at it, really, uh, it is the owners that have, that have got themselves into this mess with poor, poor financial management. Uh, and United, the epitome of that, everyone's overpaid at that football club. Everyone. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Everyone's 100%. overpaid. And this is why they're skinned. This is why they, they, they don't have the money that they should have. They are overpaying so many of their players. They're getting the wrong vibe, the wrong atmosphere within the squad. Um, 100%. Because if there's a lull in form or a dip in form, it, it's, it, you know, David De Gea, when he was going through a tough time, he got a £350,000 paycheck, never warranted ever. You thought it was, I didn't, I was right. Um, you know, you can't pander Don't towards, that. you can't pander towards mediocrity. You, you should reward players. Oh, Kevin De Bruyne has signed his new contract, 350 a week. Absolutely fine at Man City, yeah? because he has done it over a sustainable period of time where you know he's the best in the Premier League, so he warrants that. But they aren't doing that for every player that has a good three or four months at Man City, and that's the difference. We're going off topic here a bit. Long story short, um, I don't think that United will try to pursue Kane. They'll try the hardest to get Cavani on a free to keep him for another season. If they can't do yeah, that, I think... I think, that's, I think that is the more likely scenario. But... Yeah. I- I just think if there was an opportunity for either Man City or Man United to go out and get Kane, I think they would take it because he is, I mean, we, we both know that he's he would improve both teams. Mm. He's one of the best strikers in the world. Yeah, It really boils down to, to Harry Kane and is he willing to maybe really force a move? Because if he says to Spurs, I'm not going to play and, and, unless you let me leave. He doesn't seem yeah, like the type, almost, does he? You never know. He doesn't yeah. seem like the type. I seem to recall Van Dijk doing something similar when he was at Southampton and wasn't allowed to go to Liverpool. That obviously eventually happened. It is slightly different, but I think that would be the the, the thing, the 
the straw that breaks the camel's back in, in a sense and, and would make it happen almost. And I, it, I really think that, that it's a, a career defining point for Harry Kane at this point. And it's whether he's going to stay at Spurs the rest of his career and almost be like a, a Francesco Totti style player who everyone knows was very capable, one of the best in the world, but just never really proved it. I mean, Totti won a few trophies while at Roma, to be fair. Mm. Or a Van Persie who left Arsenal. I know he wasn't a, a one-club player per se, but he left Arsenal for Man United. The fans hated him for it, but he won a trophy in his first season at Man United and, and I think it was a good decision. Mm. Yeah, it again, it depends on who Tottenham get as a manager in the summer as well. I mean, if they get it, they believe with Maurizio Sarri, he's done particularly well at Napoli. I thought he did quite good at Chelsea as well, even though many didn't. Um, I don't think that would be a t- such a bad appointment. I remember, I know Sky, Jerry Redknapp on Sky and a few others were looking at it. They dismissed um, Sarri, they dismissed Benito, <laughs> but they loaded, they loaded Scott Parker, which I thought was a bit... Oh, you wow. know, you that know, says it all. It does, but that's uh, the boys club speaking there. <laughs> no, not 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 disrespectful to Parker, which did a fantastic job. But you know, even a Benitez, I think, could be could be quite an interesting uh, appointment there. It really depends who they get, and it really depends because I don't think they're going to spend a lot because it's all tied into the stadium anyway at Tottenham. So yeah, and paying off Jose. Yeah. Um. So from Kane's point of view, yeah, is he going to get nasty? Is he going to refuse to play? This is a guy I think I don't know in person, but this is a guy who probably. Seems to he stays behind after every training session. He seems to have the best, one of the best work ethics around at this moment. So motivated, just keep getting better and better. Mourinho loved him, and you can see why he just wanted to be a better individual every single game. So, could, will he stay on the sidelines for months and sulk? I don't think he will. I think he'll just get on with it. And ultimately, maybe it's his uh, his good personality, his strong worth ethic, his strong desire is. His desire just to play football, I think, will counteract any will that he has to leave. He might go to leave and he might say, listen, I want to leave. Levy will probably say, we want 140, 130 million pounds. That offer will not come in. I promise you will not come in. The highest I think anyone will pay is approximately on the borderline of 100 million if you're looking at the Manchester clubs, but no one will go over that. I really don't think so. And I just. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that, that figure, actually. And I, I just don't think, say, I think the big thing is that he wouldn't be playing Champions League football with Spurs. And I think every single player wants to play in the Champions League year on year and proving themselves as one of the top players in the world. Well, listen, Household left when he was quite old, didn't he? But the big difference now is no one has money. No one has money. Yeah. So yeah. that's the, that's the big problem. Yeah, Munich, and and yeah. Kane still got contract until 2024. That's also yeah, very big. Yeah, Whose fault is that? Foot, it's Kane. He just shot himself in the foot with that. Anyway, part three. I know you've seen a little bit of this, Johnny, on Twitter. Um, the Premier League Hall of Fame. I don't know what you think of the idea. It's it's quite yeah. a big thing in America, I think. Ah, there we go. Then. Even further American uh, Americanization of the Premier League. Yeah. <laughs> European Hall of Fame. Uh, that's that'll be Super League Hall of Fame. That'll be the new one. Yeah, right? a few years. Yeah. yeah. Harry Kane might be the inaugural nom- nominee. Yeah, to be possibly, fair with possibly. Um, no, I think it's a good idea. I mean, I don't. Is it any different to to picking your old time eleven? Is it you know? It's just like a it's a, it's a more. I think it's just a little bit more more, more official. Of, I know yeah. I know that in America it's a really kind of lauded thing to to be be part of the Hall of Fame to be a Hall of Famer in in any of the top sports is massive in America. I know the script uh, sang so, a song about it, didn't they? Well, amazing. Yeah, they did. I don't mean it's about something. No, it's not about that. No, no, no. no. <laughs> The world's going to be... Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's quite a good idea. I think it's a a nice little thing for people to have to discuss as well, which is what we're going to do today. So the first two two to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, uh, Thierry Henry and Alan Shearer, which I think is pretty fair, isn't it? I think that they'd be my first two anyway, to be honest. Yeah, probably best foreign export into the Premier League, I think, is fair. He was incredible, you know, signed from Monaco... Wenger did a wonderful job in terms of someone who was a left winger predominantly, didn't necessarily score a lot of goals, became a ridiculously lethal striker, could score any type of goal. You look at his top 10 on YouTube, I mean, any of them could be the number one for for most strikers, really. Um, a particular favourite is the is the flick up the flick up and then the spin and the volley against uh, Man United. Yeah, that that's the one, isn't it, that goes down in, in history almost. There's also one he did actually in pre-season. It was also pretty good. It it was on another top ten. This is completely irrelevant, but he did. Uh, the the ball came up to him. He controlled it on his on his instep as it's 
on the volley and then he kicks the ball over his head and over the opponent's head and the defender is challenging him and then with his second touch turns around and chips the keeper um yeah no, it's a really classy football very good yeah. yeah alan shearer it the stats speak for themselves don't they i mean he's the top scorer by an absolute mile in, in, the, in terms of the premier league at least Mm. He, he was such a clinical striker. He, he won the league as well, which is obviously a massive thing uh, in, in terms of this. Yeah, I yeah. think that, that those yeah. two are pretty fair. I have seen a few people actually on Twitter complain mm. about it, mainly Man United fans, uh, who I'm sure have opinions of who should have been the first one. Yeah. Uh, from Man United, more so. Uh, so anyway, they've, they've drawn up a short list of, of 23 footballers uh, since 1992, obviously. So you, you Gary Lineker's... Uh, uh, and Dixie Deans maybe won't be on this. And they're going to include six more in 2021. So we've got a short list of 23 players. I'll go through some of the, the key ones. Tony Adams, Arsenal legend, mm. centre-back, maybe a little bit before our time. Mm. Uh, David Beckham, Dennis Bergkamp, Ashley Cole's on there, Andy Cole, Didier Drogba. We've got Gerrard, we've got Keane, we've got Lampard and Scholes. Uh, maybe want to settle that debate of those three midfielders, Peter Schmeichel, Robin Van Persie. Who was I thought was a little bit of a strange one to work to, to be on the shortlist. Patrick Vieira is on there as well, Ian Wright. So I wanted to ask you mm. who your votes would be and why. Um, so how many six, isn't it? You said so. Yeah, we, we have to pick six of these players. I think there's a there's a few. So the the, the way that they're choosing these, you have to have retired officially by August 2020, which has ruled out Wayne Rooney, has ruled out Gareth Barry, who I think should have been on there. Mm. It's ruled out Petr Cech as well, funnily enough, because he was on the uh, the Chelsea squad list, I think, for this season, which was a bit of an odd one, but that's ruled him out of this as well. I'm sure he'll be gutted. Uh, so, yeah, th- this is how they've drawn this, this short list of players. You have to have played 250 Premier League games, I think, uh, or hit a couple of other milestones. But, yeah, yeah. that's how they've chosen them. Yeah. Um, well, there's only one goalkeeper. I feel, I feel like it's fair to recognise that and, and probably go with Peter Schmeichel in goal because... You know, he is. He was. Um, he was remarkable for Man United. Um, leader, brilliant reflexes, uh, solid distributor. He had. He, you know, he was. He was a perfect all-round goalkeeper. Uh, great personality as well. A winner. Um, really symptomatic, I suppose, of that team in the nineties. Just full of full of leaders, full of characters. Um, I actually. One name that did pop up to me that out isn't there in goal was also Edwin van der Sar, but obviously yeah. that probably wouldn't have um, necessarily fit that criteria of yours. Um, but again, Schmeichel probably edges him, even though I've seen less of Schmeichel. I saw more of van der Sar. I thought he was a phenomenal goalkeeper um, during his time at United and Fulham as well. Um, but yeah, Schmeichel for me, yeah, you have to put Schmeichel in as one of mine. I think, oh, I mean, would you have That's any arguments with that? Because I, I went with Schmeichel as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yeah. a few of my mates have been arguing, saying that it shouldn't yeah. be a keeper. But yeah, no, I think I agree with everything you've said in him. I think he's just an absolute icon in terms of the Premier League. And I think he has to kind of be in there. Sure. Okay. Um, so coming out from the back then, I think, oh, it's really difficult. Just looking at the names now. Um, should have a defender on there as well. Uh, I think I would go with John Terry. Um, for his on the field uh, performances, shall we say? Uh, well, shall we just put out that Ryan Giggs is not on this short list? No, I'm not too sure why. No, <laughs> no, no, no. To be honest, John Terry's controversies aside, he was a warrior. Over at the back, and any Chelsea fan will tell you. James, who's done this podcast, has also said there's no better captain on the field for Chelsea in the century than John Terry. He was, he was brilliant. He was vocal. He encouraged his teammates. He kept them going right till the very end. Um, and just a, one of the best old-fashioned defenders in the world. How he would do now, when it's more about playing out from the back, and there's a there's a focus on ball distribution. That's another question, but. He, yeah, Terry for me, looking at that, he's won a lot of trophies during his time at Chelsea. He's won a lot of Premier League titles. Um, or won he enough was Premier League in the titles. Team of the year as well, wasn't he? Yeah. Always in the team of the year. Yeah. And I think just for that 
general leadership and mentality. That's why I've got him slightly ahead of Ferdinand, who was better with the ball and faster. But Terry was probably the better rock solid all round, uh, rock solid old fashioned defender, which was which was what it was more about, I think, in in the noughties particularly. Although if Ferdinand was around now in his prime, he'd be excellent and probably the better yeah. defender. He maybe suited modern football a little bit yeah. more, didn't he? But no, yeah. I I agree. John Terry was also in my six. Yeah. It's as though you've been looking at that. No. Uh, Tony Adams there as well. No inkling for him. I think he was slight, as I say, I think he was slightly before our time, really, to, yeah. to see him in his Yeah. Uh, Martin Keogh would always well. say, wouldn't he? Tony Adams was a rock. Yeah. He, he really was. And the way I'm looking at it now, I'm trying to do one, one, two, two. Uh, if that well, yeah, I've, I've gone mainly with centre mids because I just think yeah. that they were. It's almost littered with centre mids this, yeah. this short. Yeah. Run. yeah. And there's so many good ones that I've, yeah. I've gone with more of those. Yeah. Uh, as I say, Sol Campbell there, mm. obviously a really good player, maybe yeah. one of the biggest transfers ever in terms mm. of that transfer from yeah. Spurs to Arsenal. He yeah. was he was actually the first player to be uh, to earn over £100,000 a week as well. A little fat for you. Mm. Uh, this is why the Super League's happening, so. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly, it's all his fault. Uh, but yeah, no, I agree, John Terry for that for right. as a defender. Okay, in my seat. I've been trying to half listen to you and work out who I would go with next. Yeah, you're probably right. Three <laughs> midfielders. Um, midfield, yeah. Yeah, I would go for um, yeah, Patrick Vieira. Um, Patrick Vieira at the base. Really, he is the ultimate defensive midfielder. Really, uh, who could also get forward and power forward, but just an absolute warrior. Um, big, strong, fast, good on the ball, brilliant all-rounder. And also, you've just got to remember those those clashes with Roy Keane in that, you know, when Man United used to play Arsenal. And to be honest, from what I've seen and from what I've understood and read, I do think Vieira had the edge on Roy Keane in terms of technical play. Um, so, yeah, I'll go Vieira for my... Shall I just do all three? I'll go, yeah, go Vieira, Vieira uh, for that one. Um, then you've got to look at Paul Scholes, who is not on there. Is Paul Scholes he on? on there. He is on there. Sorry, he is. Sorry, I'm reading it. Yeah, Paul Scholes. Yeah, because uh, complement that aggressive, brilliant, you know, no nonsense midfielder who's got the eye of a bit more of a defensive now. You've got Scholes, who can do the the deep lying sitting and the passing of the ball, but also can provide a goal or two going forward, but primarily there to dictate play, keep the ball moving with his long range passing and, 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 and just, and just general all round good play. I mean, I think I, I can't remember, was it Zidane who dubbed him the best midfielder in the world at the time? I'm not sure. But yeah, so- I think there's, there's a lot of, uh, of really kind of top pros that have said that Paul Scholes was, was the hardest player to play against mm-hmm. just because he, he almost seemed to be a, a second ahead of everyone else on the pitch, and mm. yeah, I mean, I I actually haven't gone with Paul Scholes in my six. Oh. He was maybe the the seventh choice. Just I, just after just to was... finish my midfield, though, I'd go well, Gerard because okay. big game player. Um, it was Gerard or Lampard. It was a toss of a coin, really. But I do I think there was a, Gerard literally pulled Liverpool by the scruff of the neck. I mean, Lampard was phenomenal. His goals speak for themselves. His numbers, but I think Lampard played in better teams. And Gerard was literally carrying that team at times. He was ridiculous, relentless. I think there's a lot of characters in this team, a lot of characters, a lot of personalities. And that's what I associated with Naughty's football. It's something we don't see as much now. That's why I like Ibrahimovic so much, because of that character that he has and that and that mentality. I, I love it. And it's something a lot that's a lot rarer now. Gerard epitomised character, epitomised um, that, that attitude um, of a winner. And he's just scored so many key important goals. So yeah, Gerard scores Vieira. That's interesting, really. So so would you put Lampard at the bottom of those three that always seem to get compared? It's a hard one. I'm, I'm sort of trying to balance my midfield here, um, and it's <laughs> quite difficult. Six aside team, rather. Yeah, than yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I'm I'm judging it like that. So uh, yeah, I would go with how many have I picked so far? Four, five, five. Yeah, I have. No, I have. I have picked five. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I've got one more left. Yeah, go on. I'll let you go through yours. Your well, I've, as you said, as I said, I've got I've got Schmeichel and Terry as well. I also went with Vieira, mm. but then I, I have... Uh, I'm playing a bit of a pep system here, and I've yeah. not gone with a striker, and I've just gone with four midfielders. Uh, oh. Vieira and Keane, as you said, it's kind of their 
ongoing battles. I just think that the pair of them uh, almost go hand in hand uh, to the top centre mids. Surely though, surely though, just to play devil's advocate, surely that they are too similar. So they just do the same job. To well, I don't think. I, well, I'm not really picking a team. I'm picking ah, who, right, who, the Hall of Famer. <laughs> right, and then just in front of them, maybe both Gerard and Lampard. Mm. They can't play together, so it's maybe not the uh, the six aside team. But I think, mm. but the pair of them are just so so good. Mm. Both of them can pop up with goals. Lampard particularly for those late runs, he mm. he could play as a striker if he wanted to. Mm. Yeah, I think the pair of them, and funnily enough, I think the pair of them are just above Paul Scholes and me as well. Generally speaking, I so one top, more player. Yeah, Dennis Bergkamp, genius uh, on the ball, um, ridiculous player. I mean, Thierry Henry, I think, waxes lyrically about him. Naturally, says he was better than he was. I think. Uh, I quote, quote, don't quote me, but I think he said something along those lines. And many Arsenal fans would say the same thing. His goals, his touch, his vision, his everything was was phenomenal particularly in close quarters in close quarters god goodness me he could do <laughs> he could do anything uh goal against leicester phenomenal the goal against argentina for the netherlands phenomenal um but obviously and there were many others but the, the most famous one is the one against newcastle where he does one of yeah. the best uh spin goals possible and then coolly finishes it off yeah he was an artist uh who i didn't really see enough of but just from what i did see just Literally, I mean, he caressed the ball, didn't he? Every time. I mean, that is also perhaps the most iconic goal, bar maybe the Aguero one in Premier League history. At yeah. least his stylistically, yeah. it's one of the top goals ever. And I think that, yeah, I think he he would deserve a place. I think a lot of these players deserve a place in the Hall of Fame. You, you went a bit, you know, nationalist, didn't you, with your uh, selection? Lampard, <laughs> Gerard, Terry. Yeah, no, that, how, hang on, who was your fourth one? Lampard, Gerard, uh, Terry. Schmeichel, it? Terry, Vieira, Keane, Lampard and Gerard. Yeah, Keane's Irish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'm going to Europe a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we'll go there. Yeah. But that's interesting. Yeah. There's so many good names there. Um, you know, Robbie Fowler, goal, goal, goal machine, Eric Cantona, great player. Uh, Talk well. about charisma. He's charisma. He is. He, length, is, he, <laughs> is. he is. Um, I think he's no more for that. And the occasional one or two goals he scored than necessarily when you compare it to some of the others in terms of contributions on the field in the Premier League, I think he does fall off a bit. I think it's he was so charismatic. Yeah. I think maybe absolutely. he gets a little bit overhyped, a little bit. But I didn't again I didn't see enough of him, so I can't really say. But yeah, some phenomenal names there. Yeah, that was that was decent. Yeah, no, I mean I, I just kind of hope that they don't overdo it on the players. I think because as I say, in America, it's such a big thing and it's kind of like an honour to be a Hall of Famer. So I hope they do restrict it and it is an honour the same way here. Anyway, that's mm. 15 minutes, roughly. One more, as always, the European Roundup. Mm. And it has been a fantastic week of European football. This mm. weekend, particularly, uh, I think there's one place to start. I mm. don't know if you saw saw mm. it or saw the result in League 1. Mm. Lille, yep. 2-0 down against Lyon after yep. 40 minutes. And they've, they've won 3-2, they turn yeah. it around. Remarkable, really. And it's almost like that Leicester City season of 15-16 of, of, uh, where the the footballing gods do seem to want them to win this thing. And, you know, it's getting to the final four games now, something I've really sort of got my eyes peeled on. And they they are leading Liga by a point, PSG just behind. PSG... Yep. It didn't quite. Uh, I mean, they did win the game. Uh, their Mbappe game this brace. weekend. Hmm? Mbappe brace again. Yeah, 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 yeah. But machine. <laughs> but they were made to work hard for it. They were made to work hard for it. And is it going to be made to work hard for it? Because as you say, Lille do not want to mess this up. And Leon, as you say, fourth in league. And so it was no surprise to see them too. They got a very, very um, talented bunch of players as well. Uh, but yeah, absolutely remarkable stuff, and we have to, you know, give credit to uh, the character, show, the character on display, uh, Barack Yilmaz with two goals. Great uh, kick. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, what more is there to say? If this happens, it's probably the greatest achievement in the French league of the past. 10, 15 years. It's yeah. absolutely remarkable because they've not done this with a crazy budget. They've not even got the budget of, of a Leon or a Monaco. This is a collection of 
players that are either young or experienced and supposedly past the sell-by date, like uh, Jose Font. Then you've got Jonathan David, the Canadian. You've got Barack Yilmaz, the Turk. You've got so much of a almost... Um, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, basically, no, no one's necessarily uh, a hot prospect, but they've managed to make it work. I mean, Jonathan David is, is yeah, a, a talented David, youngster, but he's not, you know, leading the line. He's not, he's not up there with the, with the experienced yeah. strikers that do this and all then, the time. He's still developing talent, but the likes of Renato Sanchez as well, yeah. who's come off the back of some really awful spells at other mm. clubs. Mm. Yeah, it's it's really good to see them actually doing so well. Uh, as you say, Monaco also up there. It could be anyone's race, isn't it, at this point? It's really going to be an exciting last four games. I don't think any of them play one another now either. But, no. So it's going to be, no. It's going to be a fun end. It will be a fun end. Um, yeah, ben Yedder scoring the winner for Monaco against Angers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you've got someone like Ben Yedder at front as well, he's, he's one of those uh, strikers in European football that just knows where the back of the net is. And it gives them a really good opportunity. They've had, they've had some wonderful strikers over the years. Over the Monaco, they've had Ranamel Falcao, uh, obviously had Ben Yedder. I mean, I, th- I think they had uh, Traore as well, the six foot seven tree they dubbed him, didn't they? They did. Uh, he well, was... He briefly uh, came to Everton, played yeah. one game, scored one goal, and then did his hamstring for the season. <laughs> right, well, that, sounds like Jabaman minus the goal, doesn't it? But <laughs> exactly, I think... Yeah. Um, yeah uh, Mo- I, I think with Monaco, though, they, they, you've got to credit them to an extent because... They've had their period, haven't they, of the of the so-called Galacticos, and they've had to have a major resurgence because I know the chairman had pulled out a lot of the money because it wasn't sustainable for him. He couldn't do it. He couldn't keep funding this um, this wild financial yeah, extravagance. The likes of Fabregas and Falcao is just phenomenal, wasn't it? So, yeah. And, of course, Fabregas, it, is, it, Fabregas it, is there now, but, um, you know, one of the few experienced performers who is... Um, well, well, probably the biggest name at Monaco at the moment, to be honest. Um, you know, at the moment, you've got a mix of experience together, some younger players as well. Um, I mean, up front as well, you've got Stefan Jovetic, uh, X Man City, Kevin Volland, uh, the Bundesliga as well. So they've got some, and, and Ben Yedder as well. So they've got some experience up front, and that's that's going to be quite key in this um final furlong. But I think that. I think that the stars are written. The stars seem to be written at the moment. If PSG end up winning it this time, then no one's going to enjoy that except for PSG fans. It's just, it's just so sad. Oh yeah, and and Maurizio, yeah, and Maurizio Pochettino. But I mean, it'll be weird. There'll be a weird. It'll be a weird series of events if PSG win the Champions League and come second in Liga. That will be very, very strange. What happens then? I'd be happy for Moisin though. Yeah, no, I think, to be honest, in that situation, I think the owners would be quite sympathetic to the league situation. They don't really care about league and They want to win the Champions League. Yeah, um, that, you know, that, that's the key. Um, so if he did that, I don't, think, I don't think he'd lose his job. I think he'd still be roundly praised for doing what they've wanted to do for a very, very long time. Yeah. Uh, elsewhere, there's, there's another really tight title mm. charge in La Liga. Mm. Uh, Barcelona with with another win this time against Villarreal they won two one yeah uh, Griezmann brace he topped that off with a, a lovely chip I don't know if you saw that he's been in good form hasn't he Griezmann this year he's, he has um... he, he had been a bit of a forgotten man almost hadn't he and he, he has mm. definitely turned it around and mm. I mean you know that I'm not going to like saying this but maybe that's slightly credit to Ronald Koeman as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I think um, you know, like you say, he's he's found a tactical. He's been quite he's been quite uh, fortunate in, in he's flirted with the three at the back, hasn't he, um, Kuman? And yeah. well, that it, that really turned the season around when when he put Frankie Young into that the middle of that back three. It really kind mm. of solidified them at the back, and, and it also allowed Messi to have this almost free roll again. And yeah. Messi's form has been unbelievable <laughs> it's been very good hasn't it and I mean as, as well when you've got a three at the back I always do think that it does allow a little bit more protection defensively and if you play it right you've got that spare man in attack as well if the if the wing backs bomb on with with a certain with a certain purpose uh, and it's a really good system we see now Chelsea have used it to their advantage in, in both in both ends obviously Antonio Conte loves the back three provides a real sense of balance I actually remember when Marcelo Bielsa was interviewed a bit ago, he doesn't like the back three because he says you get too many players who are just, uh, who are literally just, you know, specialists in positions like back three yeah. centre-backs struggle to Although, go into a back four and then wing-backs struggle to be full-backs if you get yeah. I mean, I remember you showing me that though, but Bielsa's system's crazy, isn't it? Because, I mean, 
Yeah. It almost is a bat three at times when Calvin Phillips drops Calvin Phillips drops in and it he says that, but he's just got utter chaos in it. It's really great to watch. It, but yeah, La Liga, uh, Real Madrid held to a nil-nil draw by Real Betis, which yeah. uh, not a game for the spectators. Yeah. And Atletico Madrid beaten by Athletic Bilbao. Atletico uh, Madrid are doing a real bottle job performance, aren't they? I mean, they were a long, long way ahead. At um, least eight points clear at one point. I remember us, us going into that and saying, oh, it's done now. They're, they're well clear. They, they should walk home from here. Well, there's still two yeah. points clear of Real Madrid, but Barcelona, who are on the same points as Real Madrid, with an, um, who are on the same points as Real Madrid, sorry, have um, a game in hand. Yeah. So that is something to bear in mind. Then, well, it's also worth mentioning Sevilla. Mm-hmm. Am I right in saying they've won five on the bounce? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, yeah, they're on it's, as well. <laughs> it's crazy. I don't think they will, but you can't rule it out. They're, they're well in it. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's absolute madness. It really, really is. Uh, two very, very exciting leagues, and, and in a way, not necessarily what you'd have expected when we saw Atletico seemingly running away with it. When we saw uh, in, in in league, and we always expect PSG to be the victors by a distance. So it is really good to see this sort of dem- democracy in a sense, but also. Also, testament to the fact that the struggles of Barcelona and Real Madrid to really take advantage of Atletico's slip is is more indicative of the fact that, um, you know, their their chairman aren't necessarily too impressed with the state they're in. They feel like if Atletico are struggling, they should be miles ahead. They should be yeah. running forward, and and that's not good for for democracy of the La Liga. But it's how they see it. They think they have a god given right to win these things, and they don't. Real Madrid, like you say, lacking a bit of attacking spark. Hazard on the bench, though, in that draw with Betis, he might feature, might start against Chelsea. So that will be interesting. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. hopefully. Yeah, we want to see the best players. We want yeah. to see the best uh, players. Quickly worth mentioning that Barca play at Letty in two weeks' time, and and that'll be one to keep an eye on uh, for sure in that title race. Uh, Bundesliga. Yeah, it wasn't actually uh, just your usual Bundesliga weekend no. because. Bayern lost to Mainz. They did. They did. I think if they won, they won the title this year. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's delayed the inevitable, but it, it has delayed it. And I mean, it's pretty much also put save Mainz from, from any fear of relegation at this point. They've, they've been in some good form recently, uh, having had a bit of a rocky start to the season. But yeah, Mainz should be staying up. And it's, as I say, it's delayed the inevitable, but that's, that's, that's a chip on the shoulder for Mainz. It is, yeah, and I mean, it, it, it's a, it's an even more impressive result considering Lewandowski was back this weekend. Yeah, uh, Lewandowski did score, and he's still chasing Gerd Muller's uh, goal record of forty goals. 40. Um, yeah. You know, and he's he's got a few games left to meet. How many is he on now, um, Lewandowski? I'm sure, he's over thirty. Very, very close. But what I would say is that, yeah, absolutely incredible for Mainz, and also people were saying that Le- um, Leipzig. Uh, who have stuttered in recent weeks, if they had kept the pace, what an opportunity that would be to take advantage of that Bayern slip-up. At the same time, if they had kept the pace, would Bayern have been so lethargic in their performance against Mainz? Bad error from Neuer as well early on um, for for one of the goals as well. Um, it it, it, It was a shot from just outside the box. He gets a strong glove on it and he just punches it into the corner. So... It's yeah, it's on thirty six goals as well, Lewandowski. Yeah, I was going to say thirty six goals. Um, so that's plausible. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Of course, uh, in the Bundesliga, they only play thirty four games because uh, it's an eighteen team league, so they've got three games left. Um, but yeah, it, it does. If Leipzig hadn't faltered in recent weeks, they're currently and they did win against Stuttgart uh, this weekend. They are seven points off Bayern Munich, so it does seem like a bit of a an unfortunate, you just don't see it happening, really. It, it, no, it, it does seem like that is going to uh, well, happen. Yeah. Well, the big news is Dortmund yeah. isn't really because that race for fourth, there was, there was a point where it looked like they were pretty much down and out, but it's not quite. I was yeah. going to say, there's another big news as well. Uh, you're right with Dortmund. We'll just touch on that. Yeah. And yeah, uh, you know, Erling Haaland back with the breast, I think, this weekend, wasn't he? Yeah, back um, with the brace, and they've, they've really capitalised because Frankfurt lost to Leverkusen, so so yeah. Dortmund have kind of they've not leapfrogged, but they've they've capitalised on it. And 
especially against Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg yeah. as well. Two nil against Wolfsburg, who's third in the Bundesliga. Uh, Frankfurt in fourth, fifty six. Wolfsburg fifty seven. Dortmund fifty five. So yes, with three games to go, they really have managed to concoct a run of form that is um, that's looking promising. They'll lead a slip up from one of the two above because there's no games at hand. But what a result! This is third place Wolfsburg. However, what I would say is. When you look at how they played against Manchester City over those two games, it, the, the top team in England in the Champions League, I thought they were excellent and reminiscent of a team that should be in the Champions League. Yeah, well, they, they have, they've got the talent to be in the Champions League, haven't they? It's, it's almost been a, a bit of a disappointing season just generally mm-hmm. for Dortmund. And I mean, I, I quite hope they get it because it'd be nice to see Haaland and, and Sancho stay and, and keep the band mm-hmm. together with Marco Rosa coming in as well. Mm. That's true, actually. I forgot about Marco Rosa coming in. I was going to say the second, the second thing though that, that, that was quite a big story that, that broke was, yeah. uh, obviously Leipzig's manager uh, Julian Nagelsmann um, seems to be off to Bayern Munich at the end of the season. Now, apparently, they want a record payoff for a manager to Leipzig because, of course, Nagelsmann is a phenomenal coach. He's done a phenomenal job at, at, at Leipzig, but whether or not. I don't know. Well, no, Bayern, of course, Bayern can afford it. But where do you, I mean, that seems an inevitability, doesn't it? Hansi Flick maybe to the German national team to be replaced by one of the, well, the Bundesliga's best coach or most best upcoming coach in Nagelsmann. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Nagelsmann. I mean, he, he's got everything in his locker that you look for in a young manager. He, he gets them playing in a certain way and it's the almost the, the, the right way as well. It's pretty much a match made in heaven, and there is just mm. something with Bundesliga players and managers. The pull of buying is too much for them, mm. and, and yeah, I think that that they could well be a force in the coming years, alongside uh, recent years. Well, they're a force now, yeah. I mean, uh, Upamecano um, as well joining him, so it's going to be that'll be interesting because they'll be trading. Well, worth mentioning that Bayern would have to pay a very hefty fee to get Nagelsmann off the hands of Leipzig. However. Bayern are generally efficient when they do things like this. And like someone said, if they have to pay something like 25, 26 million, you know, this is a coach who's probably going to um, build a philosophy, build an identity for the next four or five years at Bayern. Um, so it's yeah. worth that, isn't it? it? That's just the price of a pl- every standard player these days, isn't it? So, well, funnily enough as well, I, I was doing a little bit of research on some of the, the 50 oh, plus good. one rule. And uh, Bayern, uh, they're... they're Club membership fee is about sixty euros a year, yeah. and they have about three hundred thousand members. So you're looking at about twenty million euros a year. So yeah. I mean, it's pretty much just the, the club membership fees could cover cover the new manager, and you're laughing. Exactly, <laughs> one of the, the best managers for the next ten years. You're not wrong. And Inter Milan, just to just to finish, Inter Milan are flying in Serie A, aren't they? I think they won one nil. Yeah. Darmian, Darmian, the forgotten man at um, of, of Manchester. Well, the forgotten man. He never played. Uh, at Manchester. Yeah, about mostly into side to be fair I've got a man of Man United yeah what a phenomenal job contest I mean I know the, it helped going out of Europe but it's a, it's it's literally a, a band of misfits and Lukaku and Martinez isn't it um, yeah. and they have done a wonderful wonderful job winning 1-0 against Hellas Verona style's not brilliant but hey they work very 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 hard on that football field just like Conte wants they outrun the opposition most weeks they bully them they get physical with them and kudos to them they're running away with um, with Serie A. 11 points clear of second-placed Atalanta. Poor AC Milan, who were in this race, you know, title race for so long, are now fifth. Yeah, well, they were fourth before we came on, I think, and they've, they've lost tonight. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. So Juventus have managed to leapfrog them without not even good. playing. No, poor AC Milan. Oh well, they can go. They can join the Super League, can't they? When it comes back in two years, exactly. So, yeah. So yeah, it's going to probably it's fourth and fifth place can join the Super League and leave the others to it. <laughs> exactly. Fantastic. Um, there we go. Fantastic. Uh, you know what? You did quite a good job there of uh, keeping count. You did quite a good job. Uh, you know, quite modest. Probably the most insulted I've ever felt. The most confident you've ever felt in insulting me on my own podcast. Um, but yeah, no, very, very, uh, very, very good. Um, well, I have to prevent people from just thinking you bully me. Because that's it's... true, actually. Yeah, that was harsher than anything I've said to him. So you know, that's, <laughs> that was, that I'm was not harsh. sure about that. Oh, it was, but I, but I appreciate it. I appreciate it. That's what that's what fuels me. Uh, I don't like compliments. So yeah, smashing. Join us next. I'll let you finish. You know, you do such such a great job. I'll let you finish. Yeah, smashing, guys. Uh, as you know, follow us on Twitter at 50 Moth Pod. It's probably me tweeting, and it's probably Johnny if it's a poll 
or retweeting himself. It's probably Johnny as well. I would, re- do, I would, do I would retweet, retweet him. I do. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Rob. Thank you all for listening. Can I, just say, can I just say, Jordan, what we should say as well? Uh, a congratulations to Manchester City, who did win the cup final this weekend. Now, it's not the biggest ambition of theirs, which is probably why we didn't necessarily cover it, because I think their season will be judged on Champions League. But yeah. you know what? They did, and we did cover Spurs, but they did a you know, phenomenally, they put in a phenomenally good performance. Across yeah, the 90 minutes. Almost a formality, really, wasn't it? But we it shouldn't was. forget that. No, we shouldn't. Uh, and we'll probably discuss City uh, later down the line, probably, hopefully, when they're in a Champions League final. I, yeah. I, I really hope they are. We'll probably be discussing a bit of Champions League next week as well. Mm. So mm. join us back next week mm. and have a nice week in the meantime.